Good evening, Newark. Good to have you with us this evening for another broadcast from the digital campus. We're continuing our study on lies that Christians believe. Well, sometimes we do. And tonight our speaker is uh, Sister Leela Cooper. And uh, Sister Leela, take it away. Thank you very much, Brother Moss. It is good to be with you all this evening. Uh, as Brother Moss uh, so aptly put it, we are continuing our series on lies Christian, Christians believe. And I'll actually throw in there um, that these lies not only do Christians believe, uh, obviously not all, but people tend to believe. And uh, we as Christians want to make sure that we are lined up with the word of God as opposed to the way of the world. So tonight I want to focus on the lie that we are a good person. I'm a good person. You ever heard that? Oh, I'm a good person. People justify uh, their behaviors or make themselves feel righteous by making that statement. I'm a good person. Uh, so tonight I'm going to talk about good and I'm going to use some other words interchangeably with the word good, like righteous and right, that kind of thing. Um, so let's start first of all by talking about the word good. Uh, good is one of those ideas that is relative. You know, it's usually compared to something else. Um, good is also what I would call subjective. That it's it can be based on our own ideas or opinions or our own ways of thinking. And given that understanding, um, you can see how uh, our determining what is good can be a slippery slope. So I actually want to pause before we go further and pray and ask God to be in our midst tonight uh, before I jump into the actual word here. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. God, for being in our midst today, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to dig deep into your word, to gain understanding, to gain insight, God, that your word can govern our lives, Lord Jesus. God, open our hearts and our minds tonight. Give us, help us to give you uh, our full attention, oh God, as the word comes forth, Lord Jesus. God, minister to each and every one of us this night. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm gonna start off in that vein of good. And I'm just gonna pose to you a couple of scenarios. And I'm sure in your life, you'll uh, maybe even recognize these type of scenarios, or you may have others. Um, and I'm going to give you a couple of scenarios um, to challenge us with this, I'm a good person uh, thinking. Uh, so scenario number one, and I just made these up. So if you happen to know AJ, I'm not talking about the AJ you're thinking about. So AJ is a hardworking young man. He works eight hours a day. He's in college part-time. He provides for his disabled mother, helps his younger siblings with their schoolwork every day. Uh, he was voted best employee by his company, is on the dean's list at school, and serves meals in the soup kitchen every Saturday. Oh, AJ also donates blood and money to the Red Cross and is grateful to the universe for empowering him to do and achieve all that he is doing. Hmm. Is AJ a good person? Let's look at one more. Let's look at, let's look at Sally's life. So Sally made some bad choices in her youth. She got in with the wrong crowd. She started doing meth. She had four children with four different men. She eventually got busted selling drugs, went to jail, and her children were placed in foster care. 
While Sally was in jail, she accepted Jesus as her personal savior and kicked her drug habit. When she was released from jail, she found no value in organized religion or the Bible. God's ways were, eh, they were just too complicated. So she decided to serve Jesus her way. She stayed clean, got a job, got her kids back and volunteered at her local transitional house to help other women, women who had been through similar struggles as she had been. Uh, is Sally a good person? Now, let's go to the scripture, right? I've given you uh, sort of loose definitions of good and, 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 and again, how good is often uh, comparative or good is often based on our own opinions or ideas. Uh, gave you some scenarios to help challenge your thinking here. But let's go to the scripture and see what it says on this topic. Proverbs 21 and two says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the heart. Ooh, I love that scripture because it kills two birds with one stone uh, in the point that I'm trying to make tonight. First of all, every way of man is, in, is right in his own eyes speaks to just how wedded we are to our opinions and our ways. You know, most of us uh, have a hard time saying that we're wrong about something. Um, we're very passionate about our perspectives in a way. And so the scripture emphatically says, every man thinks uh, that he is right in his own eyes. And then there's this contrast. There's the but that is given in the latter part of Proverbs. But it says, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. Oh, some of you are saying, oh, that's right. Yes, he does. God ponders the heart. He's the one who looks on the heart. And so we often use that latter part um, to challenge people to as a defensive um, statement to, to say that, yes, that's right. The Lord looks on the heart. We, so we accuse man of being unjust when we, you know, perhaps when they judge you or when they say something negative. And, and our defense is, you don't know anything about me. God knows my heart. And we say that to say that our hearts are right. So let's see what God has to say about that. Genesis 6 and 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So that may be, uh, that piece of passage may be uh, familiar to you. Uh, that's what God said before he destroyed the world by flood in Noah's day. And as a result of that statement, as a result of God long suffering with man and man not turning around, God destroyed all of humanity by way of that flood, except for eight people. So surely after God destroyed the world and uh, the world was replenished, surely uh, all that was cleaned up, right? Man was right after that. Mm, nope. Let's look at Jeremiah 17, 9. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and wickedly desperate. I'm sorry, and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? The inference here is only God. Okay, I said earlier, we read in, in Proverbs that man thinks that they're right. But we don't even know the depths of our own wickedness. Uh, we, we often make statements like, you know, humans are innately good and, you know, things like that. And according to scripture, that's just not so. So even after the flood, even after God wiped out and started with eight, even after man replenished the earth, here in Jeremiah, we still see that the heart, the heart of man is deceitful above all things. So 
we read that and we and we find it hard to believe that because um, we find it hard to believe that the heart of man is wicked. Right? Think about yourself for a minute. Right? You you don't you don't consider yourself wicked. And we know so many people who do so many good things. And you know, people who you know feed the poor, they go to dig wells in Africa, and they volunteer in the community, and they keep the elderly company, and lots of other good deeds. It's hard for us to wrap our brains around um, the state of our hearts. Isaiah 64 and 6 says, We are all like one who is unclean. All our so-called righteous acts are like menstrual rags in your sight. This is what I say, Isaiah is saying to the Lord. So basically, Isaiah is saying at our very best, our so-called righteous. Now, the, again here, so-called meanings we call them righteous. We, we deem our actions righteous, but God sees them as far from that. So, so here we are, we're challenged, you know, that God, lots of folks feel like they can um, do enough good works to win favor with God. They can, they can good work themselves um, into heaven. And so it's, again, it's hard for us to believe that God doesn't reward us for the good things that we have done. In fact, Ephesians 6, um, I'm sorry, Ephesians 2 verse 9 says, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Okay, so clearly, and it's, we, we cannot earn salvation. Our good deeds do not get us uh, in good favor with God or else we'd be able to boast about it. We'd be able to say, oh, look what I've done. You know, and God says, no, no, no. The verse prior to that says, God saved us by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. We're gonna talk about that gift from God uh, as we as we go on here a little bit. So the scriptures also say that while we were in, while we were yet in sin, Christ died for us. So your righteousness, your goodness, you know, however you see yourself, isn't what moved God to come and die for you. It was the absolute opposite. It was our sinfulness that God had compassion, that God had um, uh, mercy. And he was moved with that compassion. And while we were in the depths of our sin, he laid down his life that we could have salvation. And so God is not extending that salvation uh, in a response to our goodness, but as an act of his graciousness, God extended us grace. So let's go uh, to the book of Romans for what I'm calling the bottom line. I hope I haven't depressed you all with this uh, so far because it gets better. It'll, it'll take a turn here for a minute. So I'm going to look at Romans chapter three. And Paul is speaking to the church in Rome about uh, being a Jew versus being a Gentile, um, you know, about trying to justify their sinfulness. And as if some scenarios, uh, if you go back and read Genesis, start with chapter three, is that there were some scenarios that, um, in, in which our sinfulness was some kind of benefit to God, that, that, that God's righteousness would show up better if we were these sinful creatures. And anyway, so, so Paul ends this argument and he sums it up with the following. In Romans chapter three, and I'm going to pick up at, at verse nine, Paul says, well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, 
whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, or I'll put in parens there, good, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All, I want you to hang on to that word from all, A-L-L, all have turned away, all have become useless. No one does good. Now, how's that for putting it straight? All and no one. Doesn't get much straighter than that. So in typical fashion, you know, Paul goes right at it. He just does not mince words. And he makes it very plain. No one is good. Now, it's interesting as I read that, because actually was that wasn't that thought didn't originate with Paul. Paul was actually quoting David from Psalm 14. So it's interesting. I just want to show you that over the over time, you know, we talked about Genesis uh, to, to the book of Jeremiah, and there's there's lots more in there, but talk of the time frame that and man is wicked then, and man was wicked in Jeremiah's day. Here we see David making that, that statement that Paul quoted um, that Paul quoted that um, there's none righteous, no that one. And here we see Paul in the New Testament quoting the very same thing because it still applied. And so the innate nature of mankind doesn't appear to be improving. So in Romans 3 and 23, it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see that all again. So the minute you, you start to make an exclusion, the minute you say accept, you're believing a lie because the scripture says all. Now, I hope I haven't depressed you. And you go, Sister Lil, seriously, you came on here tonight to tell us that we're all wretched and we're all, you know, Nobody's good. There's nothing good in us. And, and But there's hope. There's hope because we can be made righteous. Right? God didn't leave us without hope. So you say, how then? How can I be made righteous? Let's look at Abraham to find out. I'm going to go to Romans 4, and I'm going to pick up at verse 4. As you know, uh, Abraham is known as the father of faith and um found himself in good favor with God. So we're going to go and look at how Abraham achieved that. Romans 4 and 4 says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? That's the question, right? We want to be right. We want to be good. Again, I told you I'm going to use those words interchangeably. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Ah, so here's the ticket. We gotta have faith. Not faith in faith, as our speaker the other uh, Friday night shared with us. You know, not faith in our own ways, but we have to have faith in God. And remember, Faith coupled with actions, well, we'll see what that leads us to. I don't want to get the cart ahead of the horse here tonight. But Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Verse 4, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke 
of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. This is what David said in verse seven. I'm reading, I think I might've said that wrong at the beginning, Romans four, verse seven. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Now, I don't know about you, but I want my record to be clear of sin. And so here we see Paul speaking of this, and here you see David giving the witness that we can be made righteous by faith and by our obedience to Christ so that God would make us, uh, make our record cleared from sin. So how then are we made truly righteous? How in this time that we live in are we made righteous? By believing God and acting in faith just as Abraham did. Abraham didn't rely on his own logic, right? We can't rely on our own logic. How many of you have found out maybe the hard way that your ways are very, very different than the Lord's ways? Abraham didn't rely on his logic, but he relied on God's. When God directed him, Abraham obeyed and that God counted that as righteousness. So we must also live in obedience to Christ and put him on as our righteousness. Now that's just for another question. How do I put him on? How do I put on Christ? Well, let's go to Galatians 3, and I'm gonna read verses 26 and 29. Verse 26 says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. See that, that Abraham connection there? You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And so, I want to say the first step, but a part of the way that we're made righteous, I'm going to tell you about another aspect of that, is that we put on Christ in baptism. I know there's many that believe that baptism is just a symbol. I think what they say that, um, you know, baptism is an outward symbol of your inward faith uh, and that it's optional, but the scriptures tell us otherwise. Ap uh, baptism is absolutely essential to our salvation. Uh, on the day of Pentecost, and this is old news that you can tune out for a minute, but when, when all those Jews who had uh, participated in the crucifixion of Christ, in other words, you know, they were amongst the crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him. And when they realized that they had crucified their Lord and Savior, Peter piped up and said to them, when they realized that and they were pricked in their hearts, as the scriptures say, you can go to Acts 2.38 if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I'm gonna to talk to you about that as we come up here. So we put on Christ through baptism, as the scripture says. We're covered in his blood. Those sins that David said, uh, when he says, uh, how did he put it? Yes, what joy for those whose record of the Lord is clear. In baptism, our sins are, are covered. Our sins are washed away. and 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 God will put them in that sea of forgetfulness. So we are made clean when we put on God's righteousness. 
Romans 12 and 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. How many of you find it difficult to change the way you think? Again, early in Psalms, I'm sorry, Proverbs says that every man thinks he's right in his own eyes. When you come to Christ, first of all, part of you coming to Christ is because you realize that you've got some stinking thinking, right? That your ways lead you down wrong paths, that your, your ways lead you in, opposite, in the opposite direction of God. And so here in Romans, we are called to let God transform us, let God change the way we think. When we become a part of the family of Christ, we have to think accordingly. We have to think like our father. And it says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, right? This whole topic tonight is about being a good person, right? Which is good and pleasing and perfect. The only hope that we have of having or being anything good or pleasing to God is an obedience to God's word. It's through his righteousness. So you say, Sister Lil, well, how in the world is it that I can be transformed? How do we get transformed into this new person? Well, that baptism in Jesus' name is a part of it. Let's look um, at Ephesians 4, 22 and through 20, 24. It says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Oh, there we go again. So the first scripture says that we, that, um, we will know God's will, what is good and pleasing. And here that we can put on our new nature that's created like God, that we can be righteous and holy, right? We're talking about a carnal definition of good versus God's definition of good. In order for us to put on this new nature, um, we have to be filled with the spirit of God, right? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That gift of the Holy Ghost is what empowers us to even come close to doing what's good. It empowers us to be in sync with God. It empowers us to hear from him and be directed to him. And, and what flows from that spirit it's true love. And out of that love comes goodness. If you go, we've been studying the fruits of spirit. I'll read it to you um, in Galatians 5, uh, 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit, right, which God wants all of his believers to have, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And so here we see that the conclusion of the matter is that we have to put on God's righteousness. We have to, through obedience, through faith, right? To pull back at Abraham, through faith. You can't please God outside of God. And I know that we have a lot of ideas. I read you those scenarios uh, at the beginning um, because we run into a, a lot of that. And some of, some of us have done the same things where we think, um, we deem what is good. If I just uh, be a nice person, what does that mean? What, what does that mean? You know, some nice people, some nice people that you think are nice, but somebody else thinks they're not. You ever ran into that? 
you know, I work in the workplace all the time and the workplace is a, is a gossip mill. And there'd be one boss that, that some people love and that, and that same boss, other people can't stand, you know? And so again, I told you that this goodness thing is comparative most often and it's opinion-based. Um, you know, I think grilled cheese with jelly on it is just amazing. Some of you go, eh, you know, what is that? You get my point? And so uh, I threw that in there. That's kind of an inside joke to, to some of you who are watching it about me and this grilled cheese and jelly, but it's really good. Um, but again, goodness is, it's not defined by the world. It's a slippery slope. We all have different ideas. I'm like, my goodness. Uh, there I even mentioned this presidential race that we're in right now. Some think, you know, Donald Trump, Trump is the best thing since sliced bread. And others think, you know, he's the worst thing since, you know, goulash and prunes. I don't know. I'm just giving you something goofy here. But I'm saying it to say that opinions. We have to go to the word of God and find out what God says. That's what this whole series is about this week, right? Lies Christians believe. You have to go to God to find out what thus said the Lord about these various things. And tonight, again, I'm just, I'm just tuning in uh, to this one particular aspect, which is I'm a good person. And according to scripture, there's no such thing. None of us are good. Every time I, uh, is it Marcus? I'm pretty sure that's Marcus Beardsley. Whenever I say you know, something to him, I, he might say, how you doing? And I say, I'm good. He goes, no, you're a whale. Makes this distinction. Um, I, I think that's his, his point is saying that nobody's good. But my point is, in, us, in order for us to be good, we have to put on God's righteousness. He's our righteousness. He's our banner. He's the goodness that's in us. He empowers us by his spirit. Um, to, to, to do anything, to be anything that's good. It only comes through God, it comes by faith. And I know I'm using a lot of different words interchangeably here, but we don't get to define what is good, not even for ourselves. We have to go to the scriptures to define that. All right, so it is coming up on the hour, uh, on the half hour, should I say. And I am ready to take your questions. I hope you have some. Um, if Joyce would come back on and Brother Moss is going to come back on with me tonight and uh, we're going to take your questions um, in this last half hour. Joyce, do we have any questions? I think that I'm having a bit of a, a glitch. Oh, thank you, Caleb. So he just sent one through. I was trying to tell everyone that it's question time. It's question time. I know. Well, I'm, I'm a few up. minutes short here, right? <laughs> Nothing's popping up. I don't know why, but guys, yes, please send in your questions. And thank uh, you to sorry. Caleb. So Caleb says, okay, well, this is from Cassandra. Um, okay. What are some ways to remember that not only we are not perfect, but that other Christians are also not perfect and so also make mistakes? basically none of us are perfect we all make mistakes okay so I just gave you that scripture right that that all of sin and coming short of the glory of god and you guys know i'm bad with coming up with a reference on the fly but i know lots of scripture but i can't give you the reference necessarily but there's a scripture i just um oh it's in the new testament it talks about making allowance for others right that, that we're all in the same situation that you have to make allowance for your brothers and sisters be compassionate um you know you if you keep it real with self this is my opinion now, again, keeping it real with self means that you have to be keeping it real with God, right? Uh, I don't know about you, but I have personal battles every day with my own failures, with my own inadequacies, with my own sinfulness, if you will. And I'm not talking about practicing sin, but, you know, I run into myself quite often. 
And if you do unto others, if you would have them do unto you, if you think about yourself and your fallibility and, and all the things that you struggle with, and then you give that same consideration to other people, you give that same latitude, right? Often when it's, when it's us, um, what is it? What is the phrase I heard recently that we judge ourselves by our intentions? No, was it by our, we judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their actions? That's correct. Yeah. Oh, we 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 justify why we did whatever we did, mm -hmm. but when it comes to other people, they get no latitude. You know what I mean? You know, you you're just wrong, and so um, you have to consider yourself, and you have to consider yourself in the light of God that we are all sinners saved by His grace, and. None of us has room to judge another, to put another down, uh, you know, and, and that you have to be conscious of that and um, extend compassion to others as they as they struggle also in this humanity. Hope that addresses that, Cassandra. Well, here's another one. How can we teach others about this principle while making sure that we don't insult them or make it seem as though we're saying that they're less good than we are? <laughs> Good luck with that, right? Because <laughs> it really does depend on where people are, right? I mean, it, it depends on, you know, it, okay, let's say somebody asks you, obviously you have an open door to, to, to give you, you know, take them to the scriptures. That's another thing that's always important. Don't give people your opinions, right? Take them to the scriptures if they, if they really want to know. Um, and that's, and I, that, that if they really want to know is my caveat, because if a person is not in a position to receive, they don't want to know that. I mean, you can share all you want and it'll go in this ear and clean out the other ear. But if a person wants to know, share, share the scriptures with them. Share your own stories with them about, you know, about your struggle with this topic, for example. I mean, we, we all have our moments. Um, that, that's my take. Brother Marsh, you have another take on that? Sounds good. All right. I got wisdom here with me tonight. Well, we got to... Uh... A lot of people, when they are asking about their own goodness, many of them are looking for a fight. Mm -hmm. you, you tell me I'm not good enough? Oh, well, that's, that's not what we're not the ones that are judging. We're not the ones that are saying. Mm -hmm. We're just reporting what the Word of God says. Absolutely. Which has, through the ages, been proved to be true. So we're not judging anyone. I, I had a friend one time said, I'm not a judge, but I can be a fruit inspector. A fruit inspector. <laughs> Gifts of the spirit, right? Yes. What the spirit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So your advice is, is exactly right. The word of God settles it. You can argue with my opinions and, and very likely win. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But the word of God is forever stab established. When we go back to that, the, there is no argument. Mm -hmm. I agree. Got another, Joyce? Yes. Knowing that we are all broken and we all fall short and that most of us at once were very broken on a path of destruction, what is the best way for us to keep ourselves on a path that continues to lead us towards the kingdom of God and not fall backwards into the things we once did. Uh -huh. I'm going to direct you to the word of God. <laughs> what? You got to stay in the word. Seriously. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, tonight we're talking about um, 
you know, goodness, for example, being a matter of somebody's opinion versus, you know, what God says. And the world has its its ideas and, and God's ideas are very different. So if you stay in the word, like let God be your God, let God be your direction, you know, stay within the body of Christ. Very important to, to have fellowship among believers. Um, the world will beat you down. Right? If you try to live for God and you're saturated in this world, you know, another way of putting it, the scripture calls a double mind. If you're in both, you know, then you, you will find your head turned around backwards. You've got to stay firmly in the word and you have to allow God's word to trump everything else. And, and trust me, in your walk with God, you'll be challenged with lots of clever philosophies, right? You know, Paul talks about that, you know, that lots of people have lots of different ideas and opinions and eloquent speakers and, and you know, there's all kind of, of um, isms out there, you know, humanism and all kinds, you know, that, that the ways people, and if you don't settle it, that God's word is above every other person's word, you know, another way the scripture says, let God be true and every man a liar, you have to let God be the ultimate say in your life. And that's, in my opinion, how you keep firmly in God's word and, and going in the, in the right direction. And you will be challenging your walk. Surely you live, you will be challenging your walk. But you have to go to God and let his word settle the issue. Well, while we are waiting for more questions to come in, I can just kind of put in. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know you, you're concerned about me doing that. So, and I, I can ask this because I think this is something that I personally struggled with. Um, so what advice would you give to someone who, you know, you, you have to kind of switch your brain into knowing, it's like you, you know that it's not about works, <laughs> but oh. at some point you, you still, for some reason, have to remind yourself, like you're trying to just get it in your brain. It's not about your works. You know, you're saved by grace. So it's not you know, adding up points and, oh, I did good today, or, right. you know, I didn't do so good. So how do you, what would you, what advice would you give to someone who's mm -hmm. kind of going through that in their head in that cycle? Yeah, that works thing will get you. You know what I mean? You know, I, I, I've, I struggled with that for years. I think when I first came to Christ that, you know, that, you know, wanting to do all these good deeds and, 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 and works do have a place. Works have, works have a place inside of faith, right? When you, okay. So, you know, one of the things that I got criticized on a lot when I came to Christ originally was, you know, you go to church all the time. People look at that as a work, like you're doing this good deed, you know, or, or you know, you 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 don't do this. When you do do that, that, that to them was a list of works and these, what they call the legalities, all these different things. But if God says so, and you're living in obedience to God, that is an act of faith. You're taking God up on his word, right? And so remember Abraham believed God and that believing him, that Abraham believed God and therefore he acted accordingly. Those actions are what some people call works, but inside of God, that's not the case. And Brother Moss, if you have a more eloquent way of putting that, please have at it. But when you are living in obedience to God, there are tons of things that God says for us to do. They are actions. And, and, but those actions in and of themselves are not what win you favor with God. It's your obedience to God overall. It's your living inside of his word, brother Moss, you got something better way to put that. <laughs> I know I just you understand what I'm, it's. You can't just pick. I got one more thing to say. I, I called brother Moss and I thought about it. Okay, let's take Cain and Abel for example. Or um, that comes to mind in in this vein because uh, Cain gave a wrong sacrifice. 
Like he gave, he gave what he thought was best to give. Or that, or, or, right? And Abel gave the right sacrifice. So there was a, both of them did something. Both of them performed an action. But obviously the action Cain did was not in obedience to God. There, there had to be some instruction somewhere along the line because Cain knew, knew to give the right offering. And God accepted what Cain did and he rejected what Abel did. And so, by, 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 oh yeah. Abel There you go. Yo, I'm, I'm bad for switching things up. That's exactly right. He accepted Abel's, Abel's and he rejected Cain's. And so both gave an action, but one was in obedience to God, obviously. That's, the, that's inferred in the word that there was a specific offering that should be given. Um, and so I believe it's like that as Christians. When you're acting in obedience to Christ, those works are not winning you favor, but it's the faith and works thing that, that James talked about, right? Faith and works. Your faith should lead to good works. But your faith, your works don't win you favor. <laughs> that You got a better way to put it, brother boss. <laughs> well, I, I would back up a little bit farther still now, not before Cain and Abel, but okay. in the interpretation and the understanding of works. You'll notice in Paul's writings that quite often when he is talking about works, he actually says works of the law. <laughs> and other times he elides or leaves out part of that statement and just says works because by this time it's understood what he's talking about. He's talking about the works of the law. And there were these people who were trying to be saved by circumcision, by right. uh, all of the keeping of the ceremonial laws, trying to impose them on Christians. And Paul was telling them that's not the way to be saved. But if you'll notice also in Paul's writings, that he, if you just went through and started listing out what Paul told us to do in living for God, mm -hmm. there is a lot to do. That's right. To mm -hmm. live for God. He, he was not against doing. He was against doing for the purpose of trying to gain salvation. Right. And so when... Uh, to use your example of Cain and Abel, if I can go back there, uh, the Lord spoke to Cain. He accepted Abel's offering. This was pre-law. This was pre-nearly everything. And he spoke to Cain, telling him, you gave the wrong sacrifice. I'm going to paraphrase it. But if you'll do it right, uh -huh. I will accept you. Right. There you go. And that means that if he had enough faith to believe God and obey God, then God would accept his works. He wasn't going to accept Cain just because he went through the motions. God knew there was something in his heart like there's in all of ours. But but Cain would not do what God wanted him to do. And it, at that point, it didn't matter what it was. He was in disobedience. Correct. Whether it was to pray or to 
give a particular kind of sacrifice. So when we say God wants us to do some things, yes, the Bible's full of things for that we are commanded to do, but we're doing them because we have faith in God, because he has touched us, not in order to get him to touch us and to save us. Does that, is that distinction enough? And if we can keep that Uh differentiation of our thinking, it's easier than in our daily living. Mm -hmm. Say, I'm doing this because, and mean it, I'm doing this because I'm a child of God. I'm not doing this to become a child of God. I've already got that settled when I repented and was baptized in Jesus' name, filled with his spirit. I'm his child. And because I'm his child, I... I didn't get to go, but in several years ago, my wife was at a uh, concert in uh, Bartlesville, and there was a family sitting in front of us, and uh, she found out through the uh, course of the concert that uh, the husband, who was also not there, was a prominent doctor in town. And his mother and his wife and his children were at this concert. And so during the intermission, one of the children needed to go to the restroom and got permission from her mother. But as she was about to leave the, uh, the auditorium to head out uh, to take care of her needs, the mother just reminded her, remember, you're a Moreland. Uh-huh. You're part of this family. Uh-huh. What you do reflects on the rest of us. Right. I'm a child of God. Uh-huh. I'm not doing it to put on a show. I'm part of the family. I want to. I want my family to have a good reputation. Right. I'm, I. I don't do anything to be part of the family. I, 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 how hard would I have to work to be a moss? <laughs> I didn't get to be a moss. Right. He just all. I did. Uh huh. I was born one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm a child of God. As as such, I'm part of this family. I want to act like part of this family. And I, I don't want to bring bad reputation to it. And I can't work harder to be more of a moss. <laughs> That's right. That's right. When you when you were talking about a faith and works, it made me think about Hebrews, you know, eleven. You know, that all those people please God. And he goes on and listen, by faith they, and he, he named the action. You know what I mean? That did was something. something. They, yeah. They, did that's something. how they please God. That's how they were being righteous, if you will, is because they obeyed God. Jesus said, speaking of the Father, the Spirit, he said, I do always those things which please him. Even by doing it, he didn't become more of a Messiah. He was doing it because he he was part of it. It was it's just the way that they were doing. It was because of what he was, not to become what he was. That was good. Good. Okay. Well, how can you really let the Holy Spirit? begin to manifest its fruits in your life, despite your humanity and your flesh not wanting it. 
Mm-mm. You got to yield. I know a lot of times we want we want God to take over. You know, I, I remember when Tina was little and she would say, Tina's my daughter, for those of you who don't know me. And Tina would say, I wish, you know, I wish we didn't have a will. I wish God would just make us, you know, do these things. And unfortunately, that's not the way God operates. You know, he doesn't make us. And uh, I learned that even after I received the spirit, that this flesh was very much present. <laughs> you, know, you know, I would have liked it after I received the spirit for everything to be hunky-dory. You know, we dealt with that in an earlier series, um, but that wasn't the case. And so the word submit comes to mind, the word yield comes to mind, right? That you literally have to surrender your will to his. What did Jesus say? Not my will, but that will be done. And it's an everyday thing, right? It's an everyday thing. Uh, I don't know if any of us get through a day where we can say we've been perfect. You know what I mean? That we don't, that we don't fail in some, in some area. Um, that our will doesn't win out, you know, sometimes over what we know um, God's word says. But this is a, this is a lifetime commitment. You mean, you, 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 you get up, you, you, you live your life according to the word, you fall, you repent, you get up again, you keep moving. You mean, but your goal is to not practice sin. Sin is always going to be there to offer itself. You know, it's our, it's our go-to. It's, it's our second nature. I hate to tell you, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, but you have to, as I said to, I think it was Cassandra earlier, you have to allow God's word to rule. And so your flesh will have an absolute fit. Go back and read Romans 7, right? Romans 7 is a perfect example of the battle of the flesh. Paul lines that out very poignant. And he talks about, you know, the things that I want to do, you know, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing, oh, wretched man that I am. You know, and here was the Apostle Paul, who we deem as the greatest, you know, apostle. I mean, we, we look at him and, and we think, you know, Paul was a great man. But Paul talked about himself dealing with that very same battle. We're going to have this flesh with us and sin is ever going to be warring. He talks about it as a battle. And at the end of Paul's life, what did Paul say? I fought the good fight. You know, when he, you know, I fought a good, that means that if this thing is going to be a battle. As long as we're in this flesh, it's going to be a battle. You just got to keep fighting it. I say never make peace with it. Never make peace and use what God allowed. Um, I think that was your Bible study last night, Brother, Brother Moss, that talked about repentance. You know, if we, if, we, if we don't sin after we receive the Holy Ghost, then what did God give us repentance for? You know, so I'm not giving you these things as, as, as outhauls, but, but God knows is my point. He knew that we were going to continually battle with sin in, in our way versus his way. And that when you fall, repent and get back up and keep moving. Absolutely. And I can say that over time, you'll win more battles than you lose. That's my opinion. You know, I used to lose a whole lot of battles. The devil, <laughs> early on, I get my, you know, and I'm not perfect, but I do win more battles these days than I do lose. You get, you get tired. At some point, you get tired of your way. Your way will teach you. I always say that, say to the teens, if you don't believe God, the devil will teach you. He will make you a believer of God. <laughs> you know? And so when you get sick and tired of getting sick and tired of your own ways and what, um, what results from them, then you'll do better at believing God and trusting him and putting your flesh under the blood and, and allowing God's spirit to reign. Sister Charles, could I get you to read that question again? I want to make sure that I've, I've got it. Sure. Um, 
How can you really let the Holy Spirit begin to manifest its fruits in your life despite your humanity and flesh not wanting it? Okay. If I can add to what Sister Leela has said. We allow the Spirit to become stronger in our lives as we cooperate with the Spirit and its leading in our lives. If someone has a problem with alcohol, it's probably not a good idea for them to go into the bar, belly up to the bar and say, bartender, give me a buttermilk. <laughs> I don't know if they even have buttermilk. <laughs> but there are much better places uh -huh. to buy your buttermilk than at a bar. Uh -huh. Stay away from things that are a problem. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, you'll very likely wind up with a totally different set and circle of friends within a year or two after you receive the Holy Ghost. Uh -huh. Not because necessarily you've left them, but because they will leave you. That's the truth. And if you don't go chasing after them, they'll go. If you don't compromise what God's telling you to do to keep that friendship, which in many cases really wasn't much of a friendship. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, we allow the spirit to take dominion in our lives by, if you'll allow me to use the word, by disciplining ourselves. That's not punishment. That's control. By controlling ourselves in cooperation with where God is leading us. I am so tempted right now to use a phrase that I'm going to be using in, in the uh, next teaching that I'm going to be doing, but I've got to hold it. I've got hold to it, Brother Moss. Hold it. <laughs> <laughs> hold on to it. Yeah. But, but we've got to, if we, we empower the spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. By by yielding to the Spirit, by mm -hmm. following the Spirit. How do I know what the Spirit wants? Read your Bible. That's right. That's right. Comes full circle. Mm -hmm. Well, having that thinking, you know, especially I guess culture, even, you know, that good person thinking. And then you find out what the Bible says. So Maybe you know the truth, but how do you get other people to understand that? That truly being a good person comes from relationship with God and, you know, reading the Bible. Well, I think that whole idea of getting people to understand, you know, is, again, I say good luck with that. Our lives, what did Paul say? That our lives are living epistles, seen and written of all men, right? I think the best thing that we can do is we live a life pleasing before God. Sometimes it, what we do is so much more potent than what we say. And if people are struggling with being believers in the first place, you know, if, if someone doesn't believe uh, in the word of God, for example, then you can't reason with them from the scriptures. You have no basis to work from, right? So 
Uh, if somebody's not a believer in the first place, then you're talking apples and oranges. You have nothing to work from. And so the whole idea of getting people to believe, um, I, don't, I don't know what to say about that. I think the best way you can affect people is living as a witness to Christ. You live according to God's word. You let them see your good works, right? You let them see how God has blessed your life. You, you, you know, in other words, you let them see God manifest in you. And that's very attractive to people. There, there, there are more people watching us than we think. You know, and, and we've heard that, you know, many times in people's testimonies, somebody will come and say, well, you know, I, I've been watching you and I noticed this, this, that. Live your life. Uh, that, that's what God means about being, that's part of being a witness. It's not so much of what you say, but it's about how you live. You live the scriptures and let God do the work of drawing, attracting, if you will, you know what I mean, and, and that kind of thing. That, that's my opinion on that. Um, that's a powerful testimony. So he talks about that. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Your testimony is in, is in power. It, it's powerful and it affects people around you. And that testimony is often what may be able to open up a conversation. You know, if they see God manifesting in your life and they may come to you. Again, that getting people to understand things or getting through to people, often it is affected by where they are. Are they receiving? Are they wanting? Are they desiring understanding? You know, or are you just trying to convince somebody who's not even wanting what you have to say? And, you know, even, even Jesus, when he walked, wasn't effective that people don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. Two little snippets of poetry. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. See a sermon. All right. Mm -hmm. it's, that's part of a whole longer sermon mm -hmm. or poem, but that's that's what I remember, and that basically sums up what you're saying. Mm -hmm. If you're if you live right, if you live a witness, somebody's going to notice. And then, insofar as convincing, well, a lot of times we think we have to convince. If God can't convince them, we're not going to be able to. And another little snippet of poetry. A man convinced against his will is uh -huh. of the same opinion still. I, I absolutely. I, I'm I'm not real great at winning arguments. Oh, I can argue people down. I I can I can refute all their claims many times. But to what purpose? We're not sent here to to win arguments. We're sent into the world to live a testimony. And uh, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, good master, what must I do to be saved? He had the, he had two things. He had the idea of uh, goodness and he also had the idea of doing something to be saved, works. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Jesus looked at him. He loved him. We go through the whole story, and the young man walked away. He turned around and walked away, turned his back on eternal life, but Jesus did not go chase him and try to convince him. Right. That's right. So it's not our job to convince people. Mm -hmm. If they ask questions, be always ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. But if they're not questioned and if they don't care, uh, what's the saying? Uh, 
don't try to teach a pig to sing. It just wastes your time and aggravates the pig. And, and I'm not saying anything about people, uh, trying to compare pigs and people. Don't, don't take it there. But the fact is that there are some things mm-hmm. that because of the situation, we just can't do it. So don't try. Try it. Somebody's honest, eager. Then they'll be ready to listen to you. Uh, Sister Leela gave that mm-hmm. uh, indication a while ago, talked about it. But if they're not interested, you're just wasting your time. Yep. Absolutely. Well, considering what you just said, um, is there a way to explain to someone that you can't pick and choose which particular scripture you can accept, you know, while denying those that don't line up with your belief? What about that? That's another good look. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be my, my coin phrase for that. Good luck with that tonight. <laughs> people, are go- people most of the time are going to believe what they want to believe. It's mm-hmm. called confirmation bias. We see and hear only those things that back up what we already believe. Mm-hmm. We have to be, as flawed human beings, we have to be very careful of things like that. That's Sister Lila can tell you about some of my reading material. Uh, oh, I, yeah. I, I try to read things that I don't believe just mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll not get caught in a confirmation bias where I'm only reading what I already believe in. Yeah, how do you grow? How do you, yeah. you, know, you know, when you only, you know, if I only ate, meat, I'd be very unhealthy. You know, you know what I mean? You, you're going to have a variety. <laughs> right. I'm back here I'm in my office, just right around the corner here. I have a set of, of books on philosophers or from philosophers' writings. Uh, how about Mein Kampf or Das Kapital? Uh, I don't just read Adam Smith capitalist mm-hmm. you know, uh, let's let's look at the other side and see what it says not just poke holes in it but to, to to see what it says and don't read what we believe just to confirm what we believe sure i try to even read the bible that way mm-hmm. back up and look at it i you know i've, I've spent what uh, nearly 60 years as a preacher, a few years short of it, but, uh, but I, I want to, I want to have what God is really saying and not just what I've believed. Mm-hmm. In fact, right now I've, I'm, I'm working on a, on a study that is just taking me places I had never thought I would go. It, it not, uh, After 60 years. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm not talking about something that's a false doctrine or anything, but just a concept that I'd never, I'd never gone that direction this deeply. Mm-hmm. Convince? I don't think anybody could convince me if they just came up and tried to convince me. But if I get hungry enough to do my own investigation, 
that's one of those things that we think we're real good when really we're just real prejudiced. Ooh. Wow. Right. Yeah. And and honestly, someone who who cherry picks scripture that way can't really believe in scripture because scripture says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. You, you know, and so if you, if you're that cherry picking Christian, I, I don't know how that works when it comes to the word. Uh, it leaves you halfway done. What was it one of the prophets said? Ephraim is a cake not turned. Mm. I a message on that a long time ago on half-baked Christians. Half-baked. It's a cake not turned. It's burned on one side or all on the other. Sounds about right. Ephraim is a cake not turned. We need the whole thing. We need to be balanced in our living for God. If we're not, that's another way we're not good. Right. Right. That's a good closing note, Brother Moss. It's another way we're not good. <laughs> if you didn't get it in this Bible study that you are not good in and of yourself, there you go. Right. Yeah. And, and if I could, if it's time to go, well, that's that's fine. But the about the, the basic nature of mankind, people say, well, we've evolved, we've changed, we're more advanced, we've Technology hadn't changed a thing about human nature. Amplified it some parts. Right. Uh, broadened the way that we can manifest it. Showed it to us more. Yeah, <laughs> it. But mm -hmm. when, when you really get down to it, the Ten Commandments have not needed revision in 3,500 years. That's right. That's right. They're still the same. They're, they're still, in, still as pertinent today as they right. were when Moses lugged them down off the mountain. Same, right. problem, same, same situation. We're not good. That's right. But he, good. Amen. I'm going to leave you with that note. we got to put on God's righteousness. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We are two minutes past the hour. And um, I hope that you have enjoyed this Bible study. I have. I like having Brother Moss with me tonight and uh, <laughs> getting the, the, the uh, feedback of wisdom over there, I call it. <laughs> well, don't forget, um, in our small groups, we are having a plain old fun month. And uh, in our groups, uh, as we play, look for those cleverly placed lies uh, that will be in some of the upcoming games coming up. See if you can identify them. It, it's, it's important that we're able to discern the word versus what is not word uh, in our lives so that we can live a life pleasing to God. Well, I'm going to sign off tonight. Good night. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Brother Moss. Thank you, Joyce. I appreciate you all. God bless. <laughs>